Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. My name is Don. It's always a joy to be able to, to share in the teaching um, in this series, especially today we deal with this thing called the Bible. Have you ever heard of it? It's one of the most common threads at every church. You're going to find that somewhere. Sometimes the emphasis is stronger in some churches than others. But it's the, it's the duty and the work of every pastor, especially to try to, to keep that before you because that's, it's so key in your, in your life and in your, in your faith. If you're like me, if you grew up in the church, maybe you remember a little song like this. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I, on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Wow. See, there's, that's all we need. God bless you. You're dismissed. See you tomorrow, next week, whatever. Sometimes you'll, you'll get more of an emphasis than that. Um, the largest church in America, you'll have the pastor stand up and he'll hold his Bible up. And you have to have kind of a southern accent, but he'll say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Helps to have a little bit of a mullet, but that's beyond my capabilities at this time. One of my favorite churches in, in the San Diego area the pastor will get up and he'll hold his Bible up and everybody will hold their Bible up as well and he'll just say, word. And everybody will go, word. I kind of like that. <laughs> I don't think it'll work here, but I think I could. The Bible's an, an interesting thing. It's an interesting book. Um, and churches deal with it in a different way. There, there's kind of a pendulum that swings. It swings in, in our culture. It swings in churches. And um, if you go too far one way or the other, you get out of balance with it. One way is that, is that the Bible is, is, is really, it becomes almost like an idol. It's so significant. It's so earth-shattering that it, it, become, it, kind of, it becomes like, like God. And so it's, 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 it, there's even a word for it, bibliolatry. It's, it's making the, the Bible an, an idol. Now, please know this. It's very important, but we don't worship the Bible. We worship God. We worship the God of the Bible, the God that the Bible reveals to us, and the Bible that helps us have a relationship, but we worship God. So sometimes we don't want to go too far that way, so we have this pendulum that starts to, to come back this other way, and before long, you find the pendulum all the way over on this other side, which is basically the Bible's a good book. It's just like all the other books, but it's, it's a good book. It's, it's kind of like Reader's Digest, or you know, it's a Christian version of Reader's Digest, we read it, we take what we enjoy. You know, I like the joke session, section, but not so much the, the whole, you know. I, and and it's, just, it's just kind of there. Some of it's inspiring, some's not, and that kind of thing. And, and that's too far the other way. But whether we believe that or not, a lot of us live that way. That it's just, it's just another good book. Bring the pendulum over a little bit and put it in the middle because... That's really where we want to spend some time today. Now, for me in my life, um, the, the tradition that I was raised in said one basic blanket statement about the Bible. The Bible is our rule of faith. And it's like, okay, what does that mean? And if you're, you know, it just means basically God is, it's God's word and it's, it's important for us to grow in our faith to read the Bible. But it, it, that's hard to, it's hard to put meat to that. So I'm trying to figure out how, what's the best way to, to tell you what, what the balance of what the Bible really is. And this last week I was having coffee with a young man who had just finished up his discipleship training school 
with a group called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And uh, we're talking about some of the things that he, he experienced. And he just starts blurting out this stuff about the Bible. And I'm going, wow, that's great. And I, would you repeat that? I wonder, and he goes, here, I'll just text it to you. I've got it on my, like, yeah, I, I could do that. I, I've, got, I've, got an, I've got a smartphone. Yeah. Um, it's a flip phone, but anyway. Uh, so, so here it is. I, I think it's great. I, I wish I would have said this. It's an ancient liberty, excuse me, an ancient library of writings, both divine and human in origin, that together tell one story which leads us to Jesus and offers a worldview for ultimate human flourishing. I like that. Now, wouldn't you be impressed if I could come up with something like that? That's, that's a great statement of the Bible because it's, it's, not, it's not an idol, but it's much more than just a common book. It's, it's not just an ordinary book. It's, a, it's, it's important. And, and the, the thing is to realize it's not even just a book. It's a library of books. It's, it's a number of books together. There's 66 books there that have over 40 authors that it wrote in a time span of over 1,500 years. I mean, that just in itself means it, it's not ordinary. In fact, it's kind of a miracle of God, really, that in that with all those authors over all those years and all those books, that there's a, there's a thread that goes through it. There's a story that's told, and it all points and leads to Jesus, and it all makes a huge difference in our life that we can flourish because of this. No other religious book is like that. Every other religious book is written by one author or a compilation of the person's teachings or writings. Like the Quran is, is all about Muhammad's writings and sermons that, are, that have been put together um, after he died. The book of, that the Buddhists use, it's all about Buddha and his, his writings. For over 40 authors to write over that time frame with one single thread is a pretty amazing thing. It's not an ordinary book, just when you look at how it how it's published in sales. It's the greatest selling book ever. It was starting to be printed on the printing presses in 1455. And since then, over 6 billion copies have been printed. That's a lot. And now you take our, our new age with electronics and all that kind of thing. It, it, what, what, you know, they used to toil over it and fight over it and die for it. Now in 30 seconds, you can download the whole thing for free on your iPhone. It's an amazing thing. There's, a, there's a, an app called um, Uversion app that's about 20 years old now, but when it first came out in the first two years, over 25 million people downloaded it on their device. Now, over 300 million devices have it downloaded on it. It's not an ordinary book. It's unbelievable. I mean, when you think about how it's written, some of the things that, that just kind of blow me away. There's, there's a book that has been out for a number, number of years called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by a guy named Josh McDowell. Some of you might remember him if you're, if you're mature like me. That means old, but Josh McDowell wrote this book. It's kind of a textbook on, on what to believe and how we believe and that kind of thing. But when it talks about the Bible, it mentions that there's these prophecies, these messianic prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus. So Micah and Isaiah, 700 years, 500 years, David, 1,000 years before Jesus was born. These prophecies about Jesus. Now, there, most scholars will agree there's at least 48 to 50 of them. Some scholars will make that, that line go to over 100 prophecies, messianic prophecies. 
just kind of depends on how you interpret and what, what you look at. But they've all been fulfilled. But Josh McDowell interviews a guy who was a professor, kind of a systematic mathematician, science guy. And he said, let's, let's just kind of realize what the probabilities are. Not of 48, not of 100, but let's take eight prophecies, messianic prophecies, pointing to Jesus hundreds of years before. What are the odds that all eight of these would be fulfilled by one person, as it said? And these are, these are like easy prophecies. These are like Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Um, Jesus will die on a cross, crucified. Um, you know, and so it can be verified not by the Bible, but by history itself. What are the odds that, all, that eight of these can be fulfilled? And he came up with this number. One in 10 to the 17th degree. One in 10 to the 17th degree. So you put 10, put a one with 18 zeros behind it. I was going to put that on the screen, but it, the screen's not big enough. It just got, we, don't even have, we don't even have a name for that number. Here's how it was illustrated in that book. If you take the state of Texas, which I, I wish somebody would, but you, you <laughs> take the state of Texas, which is a big state. In fact, if you, you, know, if you cut out Texas on a map and you... You flop it over to the east, it's, it's going to have one end of it touch the Atlantic Ocean. You flop it over to the west, it's going to touch into the Pacific Ocean. That's how big it is. You flop it south, it's going to go beyond Mexico all the way into the Pacific Ocean. You flip it over north, it's going to go all the way into Canada. It's a, it's a big state. Here's the probabilities. If you took silver dollars and, and scattered them throughout the, the state of Texas, one, or excuse me, 10 to the 17th power would fill the state of Texas deep enough to about knee level to the average American, almost two feet, scattered through the whole state. So if you took one silver dollar, put a big X on it, buried it somewhere in Texas, blindfolded somebody, said you can go any direction you want, as long as you want, and then stop and stoop down and pick up a silver dollar. The odds of picking up that one silver dollar with the X is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's the odds of only eight messianic prophecies being fulfilled. I mean, the Bible is not an ordinary book. It is an amazing book. And it, it's so easy just to take it for granted and not spend any time with it. Now, when I was a, a young man, I, I became a Christian. I, I grew up in the church. The gospel was presented to, to me time and time again through pastors, through youth camps and children's camps and all kinds of things. I remember hearing the gospel story, Jesus loves me, I need him, I'm a, I'm a sinner, I need to confess and repent and, and um, I'm going to turn my life over to him and he'll take me at a young age and use me in ways I never, I mean I, I gave my heart to him early on in life. I didn't know anything about the Bible, I just heard the gospel and understood it as best I could and gave my heart to Jesus and I met Jesus. I mean, that's the amazing thing. We have young kids right now in, in, in children's ministry, and, and they're, they're, they meet Jesus. My wife's right now with the, the four- and five-year-olds because she believes it's not just a babysitting time. These kids can meet Jesus. I met Jesus very young. She met Jesus very young. Somewhere in my life as a teenager getting ready for college, I came across a verse of Scripture that so touched me and so moved me that I decided I'm hanging my life on this verse of Scripture. Because I love Jesus, because I want to follow Jesus, because I want to, I want to be as effective as I can, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm throwing it all on the. Now, this scripture could be completely false, and if it is, 
I, I just wasted my whole life. But as I look at the scripture, they're like, there's nothing really to lose by hanging on to this verse of scripture. But if it's true, it will make all the difference in my life and in my faith. And I grabbed hold of it, and I still grab a hold of it. it, it in many ways, it is, it is the key linchpin in, in Scripture dealing with, with the Bible. It's found in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. If you want to follow along with me, or it's on the screen. Paul, toward the end of his life, is, is, uh, is kind of investing himself in, in Timothy, who's going to follow him in succession. And he simply says this. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Some versions say all scripture is inspired by God. I like the NIV on this, God-breathed, because that's literally what the, what the, the Greek translation says. It's God-breathed. What differentiates this book, what makes it more, more extraordinary than anything else, is not just how it's published and not even what's in it, but, but that it's, that's the breath of God flows through it. So what does that mean practically? Let me give you a couple words, theological, doctrine words, type words. Revelation, illumination, inspiration. Revelation, inspiration, illumination. Revelation, God-breathed means... God revealed himself. God's, God's truth, God's personhood is revealed to humankind. It's a revelation. Inspiration, there are some, some, some men who start to write down his, his words and his thoughts through inspiration. Words that are, that are in their context and in their personality, but beyond what they can say, it's the revelation of God that's inspiring them to write. Now, depending on where you're on on that, on that pendulum, you'll find different voices that will tell you different ways of, of what that actually looks like. The, the more that the Bible is significant, the, people will say, you know, the Holy Spirit gave it word for word, punctuation for punctuation. You know, every jot and tittle is exactly what God spoke. It was like these people were taking dictation. And I... There, some of it could be that way. I don't, I don't know that I would say every word was that way, but there are probably parts of it. It, it was a dictation. Further down on the pendulum, people will say, well, you've got you to the human, bring the human um, element into this thing. And, and I, I swing back down to that, that. There's a human element. That there's, there's, there's men who, using their personality, using their culture, using the season that they're in, the reason that they're writing, for the time that they're writing, you can, you can see Paul's writing is different than Moses' writing, different than the words of Jesus in the gospel, different than the prophets. Everybody's got their own little human element in that, but it's still inspired of God. So the best illustration I can think of is, is who, who does music? What, what does music with Louis Armstrong and a trumpet? Who does the music? Louis Armstrong or the trumpet? Well, Louis Armstrong adds breath. And Louis Armstrong adds the, the tune, but the trumpet makes it audible. In the Bible, there are all kinds of instruments. There are a number of different human instruments. So there's the, the trumpet, there's the saxophone, there's the oboe, there's the flute, 
There's a clarinet. The Holy Spirit's breath and, 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 and the tune come directly from him into the various instruments so that the great orchestra, the great story that's being told comes out perfectly and beautifully in, in, in this inspirational way. It's revealed and it's inspired through, through human hands and, and writing as they receive this revelation. And then here's where, where it goes. Revelation stops with the Bible. If somebody comes up to you and tells you, God said to me, and it's not coherent with the Bible, they're, they're crazy, they're lying to you, they have ulterior motives or whatever. God doesn't give new revelation outside of this. But illumination happens all the time. The same spirit that breathed this revelation, the same spirit that helped others inspired write these down, the same spirit nuzzles up to us and we open the Bible up and illuminates what we read. So we read it and we start to, oh, I, I, I never saw that before. I understand that. Oh, my life needs to reflect that. And he illuminates that for us. It's, it's every bit as much of a miracle as, as the first two that he illuminates us. And it's not like, well, you open it one time and, oh, okay, I understand everything there is to know about the Bible. I don't ever need to open it up again. No, the more we read it, the more we study it, the more we meditate on it, the more we memorize it, the more we put, spend time with it, the more the illumination comes. I'm in my 60s now. I still learn brand new things that I never knew when I was 14, that I never knew when that scripture first became real to me because he's constantly illuminating his word. You can never plumb the depths of it. God breathe. So that's kind of the scientific version of it. Maybe if you're like me, you just need a more simple explanation. Um, here's the way I look at it. This, this week has been... This has been a tough week for my family. We have a, a pet golden retriever named Dodger, 15 years old, that we said goodbye to this week. He finally got old enough, his body gave out, and it was just, and so we had to put him down. And um, I will do my best not to cry. My daughter was here earlier, and she, and she wept through this whole thing, so I told her to go home. Don't, don't bring those tears in here because they're contagious. But I, I would have never guessed I got so attached to old Dodger. I got to tell you the truth. I think we treated Dodger better than we did our kids. That's how much he was loved. And, and he, you know, his eyes look, and he, we're bringing in this person that's going to put him down. And it's like, uh, enough of that. Here's what I've noticed during that time. We watched his last breath go out. There's a difference between Dodger with breath and without breath. Same dog, same fur, same skin, same bones, same mug, <laughs> same paws, with breath. There's life. There's relationship. There's companionship. There's joy. Without breath, nothing. He's gone. There's literature you can pick up. Without breath, it's, it may be a good read, but there's no breath to it. 
you might find some literature that actually has breath, that there's actually life to it, that there's actually inspiration to it. But the Bible is not just breath, it's God-breathed. It's God's breath. It's at another level altogether. It's beyond the most inspirational book. There's no other book in the world that's God-breathed. It brings life. It's alive. It brings joy. It brings relationship. It brings companionship. It brings light, hope, peace, life to us. God-breathed. So it's God-breathed and it's, it's useful it says. It's, it's useful. It's not just to be put on a shelf somewhere. It's not just something for our, our, our coffee table, but it's useful. It's useful for teaching. It's useful for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's useful for teaching. Here's what I want you to know about the teaching part of it. It's not, it's not like an owner's manual, even though you hear that sometimes. It's not like you can go, uh, I'm kind of doubting. If I can go to page 35, you know, I'll, I'll deal with that. If I, uh, I feel kind of discouraged, I'm going to go to page 79. And uh, I'd like to know about the end time, so I'm going to go to page 492. It's not like that. It's probably a good thing because you have an owner's manual in your, in your car that you don't read <laughs> until the light comes on. But, you know, we're kind of like that way. With, it's, not, it's not an owner's manual, even though there's, there's a lot of, teaching and, 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 and things that help us in our, in our life. It's not just principles. It's not just a way of, of, of living kind of thing. It's a, it's a story. It's a story. And it, it's a thread from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. There's a, a scholar na named uh, N.T. Wright who says, think of it like a uh, a play, like Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, just kind of unfolds. And I want, you, I want you to kind of think of that for a minute because it's God's story where your story kind of fits in. The first one, Act 1, I'm going to give you some little prepositions with it. Of, first couple chapters in Genesis, of. We are made in the image of God. We, we have God revealed to us, the Trinity revealed to us. God's the creator. He's putting it all together, first day, second day, third day. But when the day comes to, to create humankind, the Trinity says, let's make man in our image. He's, he's making us of God. We're created of God. We've, we've come from God. We're created by God. We, we have a place to go through God. We have our identity in God. We know we're sons and daughters. That's how he put it all together. We're sons and daughters of God or of God. About the third chapter, Act 2 begins, and the preposition is and. Because now a thing called sin enters the picture. And with that sin, it separates us from God. There's God and us. And the chasm of sin keeps us apart. And because of that, all the way through the Old Testament, we just see the, the effects of sin. I mean, mankind gets so bad that by the time Noah comes around, God regrets he even made humans. He does a reboot, starts all over again, and it's not much better. In fact, the Bible just says they just do everything in their own, in their own understanding. Whatever they think was right, that's what they do. Even the, even the people of God go on this cycle of sin, come back, repent, get up, you know, bound and around and around and around and around. <laughs> 
There's some barbaric humanity going on throughout the Old Testament. Child sacrifice, human, um, um, whatever it is, bad, human sacrifice, child sacrifice, all kinds of bad stuff. It's, it's, just, it's just sin going down. But then here's God going, I want to I reclaim it. I want to I I bridge that and. I want go, to go back to of again. And if I could just let you know how much I love you and how much I want to put it all together. And so he, he gives them, he gives them a, a covenant. And he, he starts with a man named Abraham. And he says, if you'll, if, you'll be, if you'll let me use you, you'll be the father of many nations. And we'll start this little nation called Israel. And everyone will be blessed by Israel, and, and they'll start to recognize what the people of God look like, what ofness of God looks like. And, and, and I'll give you some structure. I'll give you laws. I'll give you the Ten Commandments. That this is how you are to, are to live. And I'll give you some ceremonies, and I'll, and I'll give you um, some identity so that through sacrifices and through circumcision and through various things that we do, you'll see what it means to go in my way and walk in my way and be done with unclean hearts and have a clean heart and through this whole process. It's all the book of the Old Testament of, of how God tries to, to bridge the and again until you get to Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And it all comes together with the fullness of time, the Bible says. God becomes with us through the person of his son. He takes on flesh and he lives with us. He shows us how to live, what it looks like to live, what that ofness looks like. And he, he goes to the cross that all the law can be fulfilled and all the ceremonies can be fulfilled and all the attempts of mankind trying to jump that bridge is taken care of. He pays the price and he's resurrected again to new life. That witness becomes the culmination of the story. It becomes the, the climax of the story, if you will. The, the penultimate of the story. Jesus is God with us. I'll tell you how important that is. So that now, as we read back through the scripture, we recognize that it's all about Jesus. When Jesus resurrected after being crucified that first day, he's walking down this, this road called the road to Emmaus with two guys who had heard something that happened. They don't recognize Jesus. They don't know that he's walking with them. They're not even sure what had happened. And Jesus tells them what happened about the crucifixion. And then he just does an interesting thing. He still hasn't revealed himself to who, the, who, the, who he is. And he just says, hey, I'm going to walk you through from Moses' writings all the way through the prophets on how all that writing points to, to Jesus, points to me, he says. And he, I don't know how long it took, but that, on that walk, he goes through that. They go and they stop. They have, they have a bite to eat. The bread's broken. Their eyes are open. They just go, you're Jesus. You're resurrected. I mean, the shazam, the bang, the resurrected Jesus in our midst. You would think they could never get over that. But here's when they, when they talk about it, here's what they say. Can you believe that Jesus was with us and that he explained the scripture to us from Moses and the prophets? And that it all points to him. Didn't your heart just burn? Didn't you just catch fire when he went through the Old Testament and just talked about himself, how that points? Didn't it just light you up? You'd think it was the resurrected Jesus light. No, it was awe. Oh, this makes sense. Wow. I mean, I, if I could go back, that'd be one of the places I'd want to go. Just to walk down the road and Jesus go through the, the book and just say, you know, Adam and Eve, like I'm the new Adam. And I submitted to the will of God, not like Adam and Eve did. And that serpent, I crushed his head. 
And Adam had life, but through him came death. But to all who have death, I give life. And you know that Enoch guy who just kind of walked off into heaven, who knew God so well, walked so close? Yeah, I know God like that. And I walked with God like that. And by the way, the grave has nothing on me. And Noah, remember Noah? The world's going to be destroyed, but he makes this ark, this boat, and everybody on the boat is saved. Yeah, that's me. There's going to be judgment that comes. But if you join with me, you come on board with me, you're going to be saved. And Moses going through the Ritz. I mean, I, there's places in my limited mind I can figure out what points to Jesus. I would love to hear him just go through it and just say, it points to me. It points. See, we open the Bible and think it's about Israel. It's not about Israel. We think it's about you. You think it's about you. Where am I? What about this? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Yeah, you can learn some things about Israel. Yeah, you can learn some things about you. But it's about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. It's the ultimate in the story. And then the last act ends with this, this preposition, in, of, and, with, in. Jesus goes up to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And in us, every believer, he lives in us. And he lives in the church. And he sends the church on this, on this kingdom mission. Tell them about Jesus. Tell the world about Jesus. Don't stop until everyone knows about Jesus. Tell them, tell them, tell them. Advance the kingdom. Advance the kingdom. Can you see how the, our, whole, our whole theology project kind of just fits into this act, this, this play? God the creator, Father, sends the Son, sends the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit sends us living for God, living for, in, in his holy life, living like Jesus. Yes, there's a heaven and hell out there, but more than that, there's, there's a kingdom. The heaven starts in us with the Holy Spirit, and it starts in the church, and it advances, and it advances, and it marches, and it moves. Your story fits into that story somewhere. You're somewhere in that story. You either got a good clue that I'm of God. I belong to him. More than likely, you're somewhere along the line like all of us are. Maybe you're still in that. No, there's a separation between me and God. I'm not, I'm not living the way I'm supposed to live. You don't have to stay there because the witness, Jesus, is there to take care of that and to, and to bridge that again. He can be with you. And he can be in you. And if he's with you and he's in you, your life takes a purpose and a destiny that you've never experienced before. You're not just doing time here. You're not just living day after day after day after day after day for no good reason. You're not even here to make money. You're not even here to be successful, famous, happy. Now you're given kingdom mission, kingdom marching orders. I'm in you. I'm with you. Let's go. Let's take this earth for Christ because the play is not done yet. The acts are not over yet. There's going to come a time. But until then, we've got work to do. Let's get to work because the night is coming. Day is, day is going away. Let's work harder. Let's go. Let's tell the people about Jesus Christ. And the Word of God takes us along that path, teaching us what that's all about. And then it helps us with, our, with, a, with a rebuke, which sounds kind of rough. Here, here's what I, what I look at that. With rebuke, it's just this. We read the Bible, but the Bible reads us. The Bible reads us. It goes deep into our heart and deep into our soul, and it, it fixes those places that are broken and that are sinful. 
Real quick, let me read a scripture to you out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living, active, sharper than double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when you open up the Bible, not only do you read the Bible, the Bible reads you and changes you. There are some surgeons that can fix a heart. There are some surgeons that can even work on a brain, fix a brain. Only the Bible can fix your soul. It digs deep right into the very heart and attitudes in your soul. And then it corrects you. It doesn't just leave you feeling guilty, but it corrects you. It, it puts you on a straight path, if you will. What's broken becomes straight. A crooked path that leads nowhere, it's, it becomes a straight path. Psalm 119, verses 103 says this, how sweet your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. When we're in act two and we're, we're in rebellion with God and separated from God, that, that crooked path always looks good. It's always so, so tempting. It's like, oh, if I'm, just going, I'm going down that path, that's life for me. But once... He starts to correct us, and we start to taste the honey of his word, and we see the straight path. It's all of a sudden like, I don't want to go down that path anymore. And in fact, instead of going down the wrong path and hitting dead end and dead end and dead end and dead end, it's like, I think I'll just take the right path this time. He's got a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path that I can see. I may not see everywhere. I can see in front of me. I'll go down that path. He corrects me. And then he trains us in righteousness which means he, he does soul formation in us. He makes us more like Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a discipline. It's like working out, but it's, it's him working in us as he forms us. And it says this, not only is it useful, but it's useful so that every man of God, every woman of God will be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It thoroughly equips us so that we will live a life of human flourishing. You need something? You need strength? Thoroughly equipped. You got a, a heartache because you've lost somebody or something? Thoroughly equipped to deal with that. Anxious, fearful, thoroughly equipped in here. Feel abandoned, betrayed, alone? Thoroughly equipped. Want purpose? Want the will of God? Want to know what your destiny is? Thoroughly equipped. It's unbelievable. There's, a, um, there's, there's two things I want to give you on the way out that I think are great tools that if you've not yet become introduced to them, let me introduce you to them. The first one is this. The version, which I've mentioned, version app. If you don't have that, it's free. You go to uversion.com or version app and you put it down on your phone or on your device. It has dozens of translations. It has Bible studies. It has devotionals. It has everything you ever need so that you can bring it to church. You don't have to bring your Bible. Instead of turn to your Bible, we just say turn on your Bible and you go. It's great. You can, you can work with groups and people and friends and all kinds of things. version app. Second thing is the Bible Project. Bibleproject.com. 
Some of us aren't really good readers, and so we just say, well, I don't read. Like, this, this has videos of the whole story of the Bible. It's still, it's still in process. I think they're in the book of Acts right now. From Genesis all the way through is the goal. And in little tidbits, little five-minute, ten-minute little things, you'll, you'll have a little section of stories that start to make sense that goes through Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, basically, of the story of God pointing to Jesus. It also has all kinds of tools for Bible study and devotions, etc. If you don't know the Bible Project, check that out. One last thing. In the fall, as we have done for a while now, there will be a new journal that comes out. And that journal will, will deal with the messages on Sunday. And it will have daily things off that message for the week. And then it will have a group time that comes off that same subject. I hope you'll be a part of that with us as we, as we travel together. That you understand on Sunday, you put it to practice through the week. And then if you're not in a community group, in, in August we're going to sign up for some more community groups. Get into a group. And here's what I can tell you about that process. If, you, if you'll study the Bible, if you'll read the Bible, get it off your shelf. Don't fall into that statistic that Matt talked about being you know, the state with the least knowledge of the Bible. But we, we, we not only believe it, we read it. I assure you of this. I promise you this. The Lord will breathe his breath into you. And you'll be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped to live, to be, and to do the work of God. And you'll flourish. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.